0: Welcome to the Fabulous 413 Live from Tanglewood, where this afternoon into the evening,
1: Tanglewood is on Parade. Tanglewood on Parade dates back to the 1940s when the BSO music director and Tanglewood founder, Sergei Kusak... How do I say that? Kusovitsky. <laughs> I practiced this watching YouTube videos all this morning, and uh, I found out it's that he's... It's
2: the pressure of live radio. It is, and <laughs> it that is. Um,
1: I had also heard tales that he's haunted bass... Still exists in the world. Do you know anything
2: about this story? Well, I can tell you about his house on what is now the Tanglewood grounds. The Tanglewood grounds is actually a combination of several big estates, the things called laughably Berkshire Cottages that Uh were (laughs) built by the aristocracy in the second half of the 19th century. Right. Exactly. And uh, his particular one is called Saranac. Uh, It's a little, it's over to the side of the campus. It's actually closed for renovations right now. But in that, that was his actual house. And there is one room there that was his bedroom has a wardrobe and, and I was I was I, we used to put people up there uh, when we didn't want to pay for a hotel uh, and, <laughs> until they found out it was well, haunted no they knew it was haunted the whole time and, <laughs> I, and I actually stayed in that room once and you you walk in and you say oh there's a wardrobe over there and it's an old dusty wardrobe and you say oh, I wonder what's it and you go over and open it and there's like three perfectly pressed tuxedos like 70 year old tuxedos and and little shoes he's a very tiny guy all in a row and then you start wondering about those doors you hear banging in the night because the
1: story was that his double bass was gifted to another phenomenal double bass player and that his wife went to go see this new performer with his double bass and claims she saw a ghost come behind him on stage. And then other people have had all these mysterious incidents. So, so Keith how, Lockhart, conductor of the how did, and our how, did they, how
2: did the real, how did the, how did the resale value of the bass deal with that?
1: <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, I
2: if,
0: mean, it goes up if it's haunted, right?
1: Yeah. Not if you have to play it. Right. No. Fair. Oh, I totally commandeered our script here to talk about why we're here at Tanglewood. <laughs> it, is it started with
2: your mispronouncing <laughs> Sergei Kusevitsky. Sergei
1: Kusevitsky. I'm going to try, I'm going to get it. It's not an easy name to say. Sergei. Kusavitsky and Excellent. Tanglewood on Parade. It started out after World War II, a little bit before World War II but officially came into what it is now as uh, a way to celebrate and to fundraise for the work that the BSO does. And the event has remained virtually unchanged throughout the years including a grand finale a
0: performance of Tchaikovsky's 1812 overture played by both the BSO and the TMC the Oh, the Tanglewood Music
2: Center. Center, Center Orchestra, Yes. which is an, entire, an entirely fellowshiped group of uh, outstanding young performers who are right on the verge of their own professional careers.
1: So, so cool to hear. And we are broadcasting live from the maestro of the Boston Pops, Keith Lockhart's
2: dressing room. Yes, I'm so sorry. I am not. Re- yes, <laughs> they. This, this is this is lux. Most people in Tangu would kill to have a room as nice as this. <laughs> We're a little rustic here. There I is- was
0: wondering if this place ends up a little like practice space starved when everybody's here and working on pieces. Because like we came in in the maple lot and there's those cabins where there's I think pianos are like those are practice spaces. But walking through and seeing people like get from space to space, I just wonder if there's always someone looking for space and not having it.
2: I think they probably have enough. Of course, the BSO players who are here for the entire summer, they largely they don't live on campus and they largely go home to practice. <laughs> right. uh, and the uh Tanglewood Fellowship program is actually very small and very exclusive. It's basically an orchestra worth, uh, plus uh, the vocal fellows, composition, conducting, and all that sort of thing. And the great thing about the conductors and composers is they don't need practice rooms. <laughs> so I think it works, but they are spread out all over the campus, and a couple particularly older models that are right behind the shed here.
1: But it is amazing that you know we're here technically before the gates open and the music emanating from all the nooks and crannies around here not just because it's tanglewood on parade and it will come out from inside the shed but because that's just the nature of what goes on here
2: during the summer right well it would be the strangest days in a place like this are when you come after it is closed and it's silent. I mean, the the thing that's always reassuring. I mean, you you just be to say what's not there, and you say the music. There. There's always somebody practicing an excerpt, an, an ensemble rehearsal going on, three or four things like in weird counterpoint, and it's a it's a very cool sort of feeling. Uh, but for the public, of course, in the afternoon we will open the grounds, and there is music in pretty much every nook and cranny. There's music here at the shed. I think there's music over at Ozawa Hall and the and the uh, theater and those places. As well, a lot of performing groups uh, from our our Tanglewood Music Fellows, I believe, also from uh, Tanglewood Institute, our, our high school program, uh, and uh, of course, culminating in the big concert that brings everybody together on stage tonight in the shed.
1: What will you be conducting as part of Tanglewood on Parade later today? Well, I'm Keith doing Lockhart, yes, maestro of the Boston pops. Well, I am. I am. I mean, <laughs> the
2: whole point of Tanglewood on Parade is to kind of show the breadth of things that go on here so traditionally at least in the time since I've been here which is getting you know to be a substantial portion of that time (laughs) it has featured uh the Boston Symphony on its own the Boston Pops on its own the Tanglewood Music Center Orchestra on its own and then at the for the finale brings the players of the Boston Symphony Boston Pops together with the Tanglewood Music Fellows and plays the world's largest 1812 Overture Uh, tonight The Boston Pops is actually being conducted by two of us because uh, John Williams is in the house. Uh, And, uh, you know, certainly any time he is here is a welcome cause for celebration. He's doing uh, two or three of his things, music from Born on the Fourth of July, uh, the Motorcycle Scherzo from Indiana Jones, and... uh, the Flight to Neverland from Hook. Um, and uh, he's here and I will take the helm to do two different takes on Spain, which kind of show the uh, the breadth of what the Boston Pops does. We're playing uh, the last half of Rimsky-Korsakov's Capriccio Espanol. Uh, we're following that with a new arrangement that was made for the Pops this year, actually. Amazing uh, jazzy jazz arrangement, really kind of hardcore jazz of chicorias Spain, uh-huh. uh, which is a very, Virtuosity. I mean, for a whole orchestra to play, you you know the piece, you know, is is really is really something, and uh, so it really shows off. I think the virtuosity orchestra, but also I thought I thought getting two takes on Spain hundred years apart was kind of fun. Mm. That
0: is really fun. I love the work that you've gotten commissioned for the Pops to bring here has been really interesting, from the chicoria piece to Rad Time earlier in the season. Is that like it? What pieces are you excited to bring to the Pops? Even if you're not doing them right now, and I swear we'll talk about the things that you're actually doing this summer.
2: Oh, you mean in the future? What pieces <laughs> are we... Uh, I mean, there's there's always a wish list, uh, and we're always looking for things that convert well to the world of symphonic music. Not everything does. I mean, it's I've, I've always said that we, we try to only... We, we do try to play the world's widest variety of music that an orchestra plays, but we try to play music that brings that either we can bring something to or that brings something to us or both but you know sometimes it's just like no yeah, that's there's really no <laughs> sense and even if even if people would like us to do that we kind of resist that because we want the orchestra to sound good at the end of the day now this is uh going on uh, it was great bringing ragtime here we we uh did our boston premiere we actually commissioned it but we didn't perform at first because because of COVID, which is it's just a, you know, it's a, that's a tagline these that's days. That's not the composer we were talking about yeah, earlier? Because of COVID? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's Shostakovich. <laughs> very close. Uh, yeah. And the... Uh, which is a concert version um, of Ragtime um, stripped down from its huge size enough that it can be contained on the concert stage with a a full orchestra, beautiful orchestration. An amazing, timely story that uh, I think is more relevant now than when the show premiered in 1998. It's really very affecting and in some ways even difficult to watch knowing what we've been through even in just these last few years. Um, and uh, going on this summer, uh, I, I come back. Uh, the BSO will not be here because the BSO is going to go to Europe on tour and I'll be here with the Boston Pops, the same Boston Pops you heard on the 4th of July, uh, playing uh, two concerts at Tanglewood on the weekend of the 26th and 27th I believe. Uh, one of them is um, Harry Potter, uh, and the Sorcerer's Stone, the entire movie shown in high def with the orchestra playing the entire score. It's an incredible score and really, really hard. It makes the Star Wars movies seem, seem easy, actually. <laughs> uh, and uh, on Saturday night, the uh, 26th, and on the 27th, we're premiering a, a new program that is actually a program we're preparing to take to Japan. Uh, it's called, it was a uh, uh, I'll take credit for it and hope it comes out okay. It was, it was my idea was uh, to try to tell the whole story of Star Wars. I mean, you, you know, as a bar bet, try to get anybody to actually tell you what happens in Star Wars from the beginning <laughs> through the end. Don't get us you going. Know, don't, leave, don't leave anybody out now. You know, it's, it's sprawling and convoluted, to, uh, to, to say the least. So I said, what if we could use music from all nine Star Wars films? Because John wrote the whole, the score to every single one of them, and uh, use a narration, a kind of a, you know, upbeat, fast, witty sort of narration, you know, like a horrible histories sort of thing where you just brush through <laughs> the and, uh, and, and tell the story. Uh, and so it's called Star Wars, the Story in Music, and it's going to premiere um, on the 27th at 2.30 here. We'll do it in September in um, in uh, Boston and Symphony Hall. And then uh, we're taking it on tour to Japan, where the narration will obviously be in Japanese. Uh, I think that's amazing.
1: I think. <laughs> I, can't I, I, I can't wait. <laughs> I don't want to see it in Japanese as well. I'm worried,
2: about, I'm worried about that, too, because, of course, to keep <laughs> these things tight, you you anticipate closing lines mm-hmm. of, 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 of narration, so you just flow right into the thing. And all I can imagine is getting to the end and going, Oh, I'm trying to think of the syllables at the end of the last sentence. <laughs> it'll, it'll end in des. <laughs> <laughs> that is Boston pops conductor Keith Lockhart.
0: Maybe des ne if they're being <laughs> yes, really yes, colloquial, yes, yes. Oh, see, or if they're asking a question.
1: Des cop.
2: <laughs> <Right. ka>. uh,
1: <laughs> you should do the rest of the interview in Japanese. No, oh. that would be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> It would be short. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we are live in Keith Lockhart's dressing room at Tanglewood in anticipation of Tanglewood on Parade. This is the fabulous 413 live from Tanglewood. We're all really excited. And you've mentioned these incredible scores that John Williams, who is somewhere in the building, um, has created. Uh, and you, of course, took over the baton for the pops from John Williams. He is the second most Academy-awarded uh, person of all time. He's arguably... One of the most important musicians of the entire 20th century. He's probably
2: the best known composer living. Um, yeah.
0: I did my thesis on him. <laughs> cool.
2: <laughs> well, you should be doing the rest of this interview then. But well, we really should chase him down then, so you can say hi.
0: <laughs> no, I will fangirl out. It will not be okay. <laughs> yeah. We
2: will all oh, there. Fangirl. She fainted
1: again. Yeah. Uh. We will all fangirl out. But is it? I'm sure over the years you've been conducting the pops now for the 28 uh, years. 28 years. I actually, the first time I met you was 28 years ago backstage at Great Woods in a very, it was more of a meet and greet situation. That's
2: but, cool. Were you 15 at the time? Yeah,
1: I was actually. I was in a high school band <laughs> Thanks, and we man. went I mean, as a high school band. That makes me feel too. really good, by the <laughs> way. <laughs> you're, only, you're only 18 at the time. Um, when, when you started out conducting these pieces that John Williams created and is so globally famous for, was there a level of intimidation? And is it different now when you will be conducting the Star Wars night that we will all hopefully come see here at Tanglewood at the end of August?
2: It, it, it is different. I mean, I suppose there was always intimidation just from all of a sudden being a close colleague with John. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very first time I met him was we had dinner secretly uh, in a suite at the Four Seasons in Boston the night before I was appointed because I had not met him and they, because uh, as usual, he didn't have anything to say about the picking of his successor, and they thought we should know each other, because he is still, of course, on the conducting staff of the Boston Pops. emeritus. Emeritus conductor. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we had a delightful meal, and he was just very warm and very kind, and and all that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, every now and then, it couldn't help escape my mind. It was like, uh That's, that's John Williams over there. Uh, so I'm glad to see that <laughs> happens to you. And he would, well, and he was uh, arguably even less John Williams then than he is now. No. Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, it was it was obviously after uh, Star Wars and Indiana Jones and lots of things. But, you know, his, his legend has cemented over these years. And I think he's, you know, one of the most prolific and certainly one of the most creative and causatory film composers to ever leave, maybe live, maybe even the most, and uh, still doing miraculously very well at 91 years old and uh, and still composing, you know, still talking about his next project. I really think that's his secret. That's his founder of the youth, his founder of youth is always having another great project to embark on. Uh, but uh, it was a little, I mean, the, there, was a, there was so much intimidation going on when I was 35 and uh, started in this job that that was only a very small part of the total intimidation. So. <laughs> because even the name, the Boston Symphony
1: Orchestra, the Boston Pops comes very uh, heavily weighted. What are some, looking back on that time, what are some of the things that you feel most proud
2: of in your time behind the baton with we were the Pops? Talk, we were Keith talk, Lockhart? We were talking about how, uh, how things change and how, yes, to answer your question too, yes, that our relationship is different now, it's you know it'll it, it's never when you're talking about somebody of that stature you're talking about true genius it's never quite peer to peer but it's basically you know two colleagues talking about what they're doing but then I'm older than he was now I'm older than he was when he left mm. the Bobs so uh, you know now at least I can like, like, <laughs> now I can at least be a peer with him back then uh, the uh, but uh, uh, the first time I ever. Heard a concert in Symphony Hall in Boston. I was on the podium. Wow, that was the first uh. concert I ever heard there. I had auditioned in that space for Tanglewood and stuff like that, but I had never heard a concert there until I was like, and all of a sudden I is one. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was a, uh, it was, that was kind of funny. C- certainly, I think you know what what I'm most proud of is trying to shepherd the pops through a time that has, I think, unprecedented change in entertainment in society in this country in the methods of distribution and mm-hmm. dispersal of product uh, you know the world is very very different from where it was it's arguable that when i came in in 1995 we were still you know stuck a little bit in an analog world that was rapidly becoming digital and our audience was aging faster i mean they all your audience always ages but it was aging faster than we should have allowed it to at that point and we tried to do a lot of things to to continue to broaden the spectrum, but not only that, just to make it apparent to people that we existed for lots of different age groups and we were not just, you know, your grandma's PBS uh, band. Though, by the way, when I started the job, my uh, maternal grandparents were still alive, and I used to visit them in the home they were in in Hendersonville, North Carolina, and every time I'd show up, doors would open up and down the hall, and noses (laughs) with walkers would... Dick their heads out into the, into the hallway and go, that new conductor's here. Because Evening of Pops <laughs> at that point was the gold standard oh, for is, over 70s viewing, I you know? Think it's
1: still the gold standard for anybody who loves <laughs> symphonic music,
2: despite your age. But, but it was, but you know, over the years, I mean, the, the amount we've taken this orchestra out on the road, I've toured with our touring orchestra, the one going to Japan, uh, probably a total, I've probably been out on the road with them about a year. By this point, mm. if you add the whole stuff up, uh, continuing to find ways to connect with people. I mean, in the same way that you know rock bands too. In these days, where it's no longer you make a record, everybody buys the record, and you tour in support of the record. More now, it's people buy the record because they saw you live. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. really reversed, and that's not the worst thing in the world. No. I mean, it's obviously you know for us in terms of income stream for recordings, and it's not anything like what Especially it used to. be. Especially
0: not symphonic recording. <laughs> no. Well, my, you
2: know, we just, I mean, you know, basically s- CDs now are are souvenirs. I mean, you you almost give them out just as as brand, and and what you try to do is get people to come to your concerts, and and uh, you know for yeah for classical classical music, it's had a harder time making it over into the streaming world in a really vibrant sort of way. So all those things are, are challenges we still have to face, which is why I, I can't retire yet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Nor do we want you well, to. Well, thank you
0: for steering the ship anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate I don't, I don't the think,
2: effort. I don't think we've hit anything that is going to leave too big a hole in the boat yet. So, <laughs> We're speaking with Keith
1: Lockhart, our Tanglewood correspondent for the Fabulous 413, live from Tanglewood in the Maestro's dressing room at Tanglewood on Parade. And we're talking about trying to, or to attract a younger audience to something like Tanglewood on Parade, where you're actually different enclaves of musicians different quartets are out in the field does, is that a way that is more interactive that does attract a younger audience
2: well i think it does in that it's uh, you know more than overtly it's not like we program trying to get to a younger audience but it's basically it's a big community event i think one of the things that prompted tango on parade in the beginning was an idea of making the people of you know Lennox and Stockbridge and the area around here feel Invested a little bit and went on and it. It's too easy to think of these places as you know kind of walled enclaves where super serious uh, those people from the city come and study music and stuff. And mm. it's not you know and you need to be reflective of your community. And I think the idea that we you know all, most of the events here are free during the uh, the day too. So it's about getting people out. And I think when that kind of thing happens, you get a lot of people not just younger people but people who are, who are not part of this world. Coming and a lot of them bring their kids because it's a really great relaxed way to experience music and you're also seeing a lot of younger performers so you have that kind of resonance and connection. Uh, Yeah, I mean it's you know it's it's been you know we we all we all gnash our teeth about younger audiences but uh, what I like to tell people is there was a critic named Philip Hale who was the the most important critic in Boston around the turn of the century into the first. Decade or so, the 20th century. And there was a great uh, article that he wrote where he said, if we don't do something about this aging of the audience, classical music audience will be totally gone by 1925. Know, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and so you realize that's always the concern. And, and to some extent, you accept that. I mean, in terms of, you know, it is, it's like, you know, your 21 uh, year old aren't on aren't big on you know Saint on Bordeaux and stuff like that. You know, that's you are missing
1: out. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Merlot.
2: But you know, people people start with things, and if they're <laughs> curious and interested, they develop tastes and and they and they move toward those things. But what we need to do is keep renewing and keep putting it out there so people can have the opportunity to experience. And that's one of the reasons that you know so much so much death of good school music programs is one of the biggest problems with that because as i tell other people you know i probably would never ever go to a red sox game if i hadn't played little league Mm -hmm. because i just don't think i'd get the point (laughs) right and the same thing's true for this participation is what brings uh, brings you the next generation of of real of true fans
1: well i mean and i was in the high school band and went to symphony hall as part of my curriculum so Mm -hmm. when you're working with the fellows that are here do you see the potential do you see uh, do, do you feel hopeful when you work with the the young conductor that we'll have li- a little bit later on in well, the show? That it's one I, of the two I, fellows that will I, conduct all the three. Yes,
2: yes, we have, uh, we have. We uh, have one of the Tanglewood Conducting Fellows is participating in tonight's program, as is Andres Nelsons, the music director, and John and uh, myself. So be, uh, I mean, I always feel. Hopeful when I uh, you know, I've I've also just come from another summer festival that I'm the artistic director of down in North Carolina And we have about 500 students there and uh, I'm always re-energized and hopeful about but the the concern has never been about Whether we have m- more excellent performers coming up in fact, we have so many more than the industry can actually absorb right now that that's, you know, that's the issue more than, more than who's going to carry the torch. we got a lot of people to carry the torch, but what we need is people to follow the torch. Mm. (laughs) And, uh, but what I do see that makes me hopeful in younger, uh, players, even the younger players, I'm, you know, I'm now old enough to be, uh, the parent of some of the members of the BSO. Um, and, uh, the, the people we've made almost to a person the choices we made of new players in the orchestra in the last decade or so um, have much more of a eyes open kind of view of what their job is in terms of uh, of proselytizing of being missionaries of Mm -hmm. going out and and uh and supporting uh you know they they see their their futures as invested in bringing people to the table Outside of their moral responsibility, but even just their paychecks. <laughs> uh, and you know, when I was when I was first uh, here, and I was working with people quite a bit older than me, there was much more of an attitude of, "Well, I'm I'm the best violinist I can possibly be, so I should be, I you know, I, I deserve to be well compensated for the rest of my career and retire on a pension, and that's that, uh, because the best person in anything, if I were a great shortstop, I'd you know, right, but. I'm, I'm seeing less of that now. I'm seeing more people saying, yes, uh, we've worked really hard to do this, and it's also part of our ongoing work to make sure people want to listen to what we have to say.
1: Well, it's been a delight listening to what you have to say. Our Tanglewood correspondent, the maestro of the Boston Pops.
2: Was that a little too heavy for your show? No, no it was a perfect. Guys, uh- <laughs> I
0: don't know, like, just a quick question about, like you work with young people and fellows, and... For these two music programs here and in North Carolina, do any of their choices in work that they bring or are working on ever change your ideas for what the pops season later seasons will be like? Do, does something pop out? Do people bring things that surprise you?
2: It's not so much what they bring that they're working on, but it's what they bring that they know about and that they find uh, that they find interesting, uh, in particular. Uh, you know, people who they tell me about who are, you know, it's, it's easy to scoffingly say they're internet sensations, but there are actually really talented people out there who are distributing their music in a way that I would not tend to see unless somebody said, hey, have you ever, have you checked out this person? And we actually were talking right now about opening our next spring pop season in Boston with just one of these people whom I had never heard. And I went and checked her out Online, I'm blown away, and uh, and so this is one of the points of connection that those of us of a certain age who don't have an Instagram account don't have a Facebook page. I have one, but I don't actually look right. at it. <laughs> uh, okay. And uh, and we need to connect with the worthy things. That it's too easy to go, ah, the internet's ruined everything. But it's that's not how the younger half of our audience perceives it and it doesn't hurt to have a 10 year old around to yeah. keep
1: oh. you savvy as to yeah. what's going yeah. on and i'm so also, thankful also to my the, kids for Also also to program,
2: program the remote yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's
1: right. <laughs> Keith <laughs> Lockhart, the Tanglewood correspondent for the Fabulous
2: 413. It's
1: always been a pleasure. I can't wait to see you from the shed later tonight with John Williams and Andres Nelson and more.
2: Thanks. It's great to see you guys here. Welcome to Tanglewood. Thank, thank, you, thank you for letting so us much.
1: take over your dressing room. We need to kick you out of your own dressing room. Oh, so, boy. <laughs> you got, you've
2: got some, a meeting, and we've some, got more. Some guests you are. Can I take your sign with you? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Take the Fabulous 413 sign. We'll make another one. Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: The Fabulous Four One Three is funded by WFCR's partners: Amherst, Hampshire, Mount Holyoke, and
1: Smith Colleges, and the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Welcome back to the Fabulous Four One Three. We are live from Maestro Keith Lockhart's dressing room. But at we just kicked him out. Tanglewood, but we have kicked him out <laughs> so and that we, we have can talk. Welcomed Rachel Childers with us to the Fabulous Four One Three. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me. You are the first woman in the brass section of the BSO
3: still only wow. still yes.
1: only and yes. the bSO has been around for a very very long time
3: true yeah.
0: yes yes <laughs> but I will say like it's I'm not necessarily surprised at that um for women in in brass sections especially mm-hmm. like there's always a a smaller number like I have a I have a small funk band with a brass section and we have a female member um, and it's awesome but it also took some years before that happened
3: right before it cycled through yeah yeah
0: so have you always been the only one in the room or one of just a handful
3: no so I think um it's it's definitely a generational thing when I grew up um you know playing horn in the 80s in Michigan um it was all women all, all girls, I should say. We weren't women yet, um, <laughs> <laughs> so so. In, and going through college, it was always about fifty-fifty. And you'll see, you know, tonight um, in eighteen twelve with the TMC orchestra, they have there. There are several women in the brass section, so it's it's not really unusual. But I think in an orchestra like the BSO, where the turnover is really really low, um, it just takes a long time for new people to be hired. And you know, the orchestra has done a really great job of. Uh, creating blind auditions and blind resume screening so that, you know, hopefully there's more equity there. Um, and I think it just takes a little while. So I'm a little bit lonely for right? <laughs> any female brass players it's, wanting it's a, to come it'll play. It'll take some time, but you'll get some company, i I'm hope so. Sure. I hope so. We have an audition in the horn section this year, and I'm not so secretly hoping that we get another woman. Uh, so
1: You're also on the faculty at New England Conservatory of Music. True. So are you seeing up-and-coming female players there yeah
3: i yeah. mean that th- there's really no distinction th- the people learning and choosing to play brass instruments it's not gendered at all um even if it was many generations ago so it's that's not the case now i have it's I actually i teach mostly female students i have uh, an incoming freshman guy this year so i'm i'm looking forward to that but um <laughs> <laughs> you know it's 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 funny. What it looks like on stage isn't exactly what it is in person. Right.
1: So, what's different about playing Tanglewood on Parade, where it kind of comes out from behind the the shed and is out into the other nooks and crannies, as I keep calling them, on the the grounds of Tanglewood?
3: Oh, it's well, it's super fun. Like we get to get to kind of like put ourselves everywhere. Um, in, in the whole property. So after this, I'm going to go play um, at Seiji Ozawa Hall, playing the Circle Round live episodes with our friends Rebecca and Eric um, from WBUR. Sorry. It's okay. Um, really? you know, Colleagues. They don't know nope. us <laughs> yet, <Yeah>, and <yeah.
1: laughs> they probably don't like
3: us. They're lovely. You should meet them. Um we will. So yeah, they're, we're doing like a children's podcast over in Ozawa Hall. There's, you know, like... It's just epic what they do here on the grounds on Tanglewood on um Parade. And before I had kids, I really didn't quite know, because I would come in for my rehearsal, and then I'd come here with some colleagues, play, and then play my concert. I really had no clue what this thing was. Um, and it's really just a super fun like carnival Day of Tanglewood.
1: (laughs) Do you does it feel different to interact with the audience a little more close up than when everybody's sitting in their seats and you're up on the stage? I have
0: this picture in my brain of like families walking around and then just like small ensembles jumping out of the bushes. French horn is in the woods. And playing like
3: like chansons. I think you're having ideas for twenty (laughs) twenty four. I mean the jump out ensemble.
1: Yeah, it's like an immersive (laughs) theater experience. (laughs)
3: Surprise
0: chansons. (laughs) Just like
1: But does it feel different to interact that close to an audience as opposed to being far off on the stage? I think so.
3: And And it's it's more fun because I think people get the entire picture of what happens here and what goes on. We have the I guess the whole generation, right? We have high school, college, us. There's the little kids, you know, there's everything happens today. So I don't think people usually get that kind of sneak peek when they just see us in our fancy clothes on stage. Are there anything
0: that you see with families here when you're at Tanglewood on Parade that you bring back to your library performance program? Ooh, that's
3: a good question. You know, I think that performers were always learning by watching other people who do it well, people who engaged with audiences at a very high level. Um, And you learn new tricks all the time for, like, how to to keep an audience going, how to create an arc of a program, um, which is really important for... You know, in in town, I do a lot of library concerts and like small people concerts, and that's a tricky audience. I don't know if you have (laughs) young people, but yeah, yeah. you have their attention for for a short (laughs) amount of time, and then they show you immediately when they lose it. You know, they just (laughs) stop doing anything. (laughs) So um, there's actually a magician here who comes every year and strolls the grounds, and that guy, I don't know if you've seen like a bunch of little people attached to a performer before. But like he has that thing mm. where like kids just really pay attention. Have you
0: nicknamed him the Pied Piper, or is that a little dark? That's an actual. No, I think member that's the, really uh, accurate. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He's <laughs> a, <laughs> a member of the BSO who plays the pipes. Yeah, yeah. The actual Pied Piper, maybe. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> you mentioned that you have kids. I mm-hmm. do believe your partner is also a professional musician. Is yes. That correct? Yes. So, is that uh, what does your child listen to for music?
3: So he likes. Our 10-year-old has very specific taste. He likes Van Halen. He likes any oh, wow. 80s rock band.
1: We were just talking about Van Halen in this very Keith Lockhart dressing room we earlier. Were. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he, he loves it. He listens, like he got, he got into the Stones for a while. He's like a little old man. Uh-huh. Um, he's very fun. So yeah, he, uh, my husband plays bassoon. I play horn and my son picked saxophone which everyone, all of my colleagues say, say, only a gentleman knows how to play the saxophone, but doesn't.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know?
3: (laughs) So they all think it's hilarious that I've let my child play saxophone, but he picked, and he... We thought it was his personality, because he's quite boisterous, mm-hmm. but it turns out he said, you know, it's halfway between bassoon and horn. I was just thinking oh. that exact same right, thing, because it's,
1: like, it's, you know, it's got a reed, but it's brassy looking. Right,
3: you're, you're <laughs> on the same wavelength, yeah.
1: So it's his way of like, uh, anti-rebelling. He's like trying to
3: he's trying bring unity to the so household. Together. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's very sweet. So. Oh,
0: that's adorable. Yeah,
3: he practices with a lot of volume, so. Oh. There, there's that. He does play sax. He just yeah. he picked it. I'm
1: sure there's plenty of
0: volume in that house. Yeah. We're speaking with Rachel
1: Childers, who joined the BSO as the second horn at the start of the 2011-2012 season, the first and, at the moment, only mm-hmm. female uh, horn player in the Boston Symphony Orchestra. What are you excited to be playing at Tanglewood on Parade here today at Tanglewood?
3: Ooh, um, let's see. Tonight. So there's this really great new arrangement of Chick Corea's... Spain that yes. we're doing with pops that is like very very tasty. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's really fun. Um, we just started did it in the hall, um, and now we're doing it again. And then you know John Williams is conducting, and that's always amazing. Mm-hmm. You, it doesn't ever get old.
1: Really, that's the, what yeah. we were kind of asking Keith Lockhart too. So you are fanning out while John Williams is there
3: conducting. You know, you. we're professionals, so you know we like <laughs> we put on the game face, and then afterwards
0: <laughs> go around the corner and are like.
3: Yeah, Exactly. It is cool, you know, because there are a lot of people in the orchestra that are still around that were here when he was the conductor of Pops. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you feel a little jealous because he's got very special relationships with these people and they're, you know, they're friends. Mm -hmm. It's super cool to see.
1: Oh. Is there a John Williams piece that you will be playing that you're particularly looking forward to? We know he's doing something from Hook tonight. We know doing something from Indiana Jones. Are you part of the Star yeah. Wars stuff that went on over the Ye- weekend or will be going on later this yes. summer?
3: Yes, I played... Um, the Film Night concert last weekend mm-hmm. which as a horn player is a blow. Like you you <laughs> need ice cubes and ibuprofen yes. after wow. you're done with that night. Yep. It's really serious. Mm-hmm. Um, so fun.
1: I love calling it a blow. I yeah. love this
3: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is a real tough concert. Mm-hmm. Um, but always really, really fun. And as horn players, you know, of course, like we've known all of these tunes forever and ever and ever. They're like embedded in, you know, what we wanted to do. Um, especially we got to do Jurassic Park this weekend, uh, which was like for me that was, I think I was 11 or 12 and that was it. Yeah. Um, but then tonight we're doing two of the very, very fast ones that like you kind of have to hold onto your chair <laughs> to get to stay with it. Um, so hopefully it'll go well for us yeah. in the horn section.
1: Hopefully it won't be such painful a blow.
3: No, 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 it's very short. It's yeah. hard and fast and it's over very quickly.
1: Before like we, most <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Before we let you go, when you know, you've talked a lot about loving the music of John Williams mm-hmm. beforehand, about loving music and the Boston Symphony Orchestra, where we are here at Tanglewood, their home, their summer home, and Keith Lockhart, the maestro of the Pops' dressing room with the fabulous 413. What when you were accepted as a member of the BSO, what, what did that feel like?
3: Uh surreal surreal. This is a a destination job for all of us. So, um, I think anybody, when you win the audition, it doesn't quite feel like the thing. It feels like you had the dream that you won the lottery ticket, but it took a while, um, for me to really understand what this was. So, um, you know, auditioning is like an epic journey and it mostly is failure mm. for many, many years. You know, So
1: don't give up people listening. But...
3: <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's an exercise and like picking yourself up and just, just keep on going. Um, so this was like, uh, I don't even know how many auditions, 40, 50, somewhere in there wow. that you take before you get these things. So I had the experience of I won this audition and then I thought, well, I just bought my new audition luggage. Like, what am I going to do? I finally found the right bag.
1: <laughs> because you didn't do 40 or 50 auditions for the tour. pop. For, for the no, PSA. no, you no. Going all
3: all around the country, yeah. you go where there's the yeah. opening. Yeah. You know, and there's a handful of openings every year. You just mm-hmm. never know where you're going to end up. So, you know, my husband and I are not from the East Coast. You know, you just move where the job is. Right. So now it's home, but...
1: And does your husband play with the BSO two?
3: No, he teaches. So he uh-huh. teaches at BUTI over the summer. Oh, so we're cool. all out here together. Yay. You know, the kids go to camp. It's just a mess. Uh- <laughs> Last summer, we tried to get by with one car and an e-bike. Oh! And that was a hot mess yeah. in the Berkshires on the hills. Yes. There was one day where we forgot to charge it. And it, the e-bike would make it to Tanglewood and back one and a half times. And I was at Tanglewood after one and a half times and I went down the mountain and then I had to go back up. And I was, oh, no. I got home and I said, we're having two cars next summer. Uh. This is not, <laughs> this is not happening again. Love the e-bike, but.
1: Does it feel like a camp atmosphere though, with you and the rest of the, the musicians in the orchestra being out here for what is a, essentially the BSO summer camp?
3: It, I think that's a really good description. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, all the families come out, um, you know, we get to see each other in a different way than we do during the year. You know, a lot of people think that playing in an orchestra is like having a family and it is because you don't, you don't get along with everybody. Uh You know, you have different views, you know who to talk politics with and who not to. But then in the summer you get to see each other and see your families and, you know, hang out on the big lawn together. We also have a beach, you know, it's like our, it's like our gathering point where everybody knows each other. It's, it's a magical thing, I think, especially for um, people with young kids. It's it can be really fun if you like the the country. So, cool. cool.
1: Rachel Childers who joined the BSL as the second horn, the start of the 2011-2012 season, is still the only female member of the uh, brass section. But that's until this horn opening happens,
0: yeah. and yeah. who knows? But we got high
3: yeah, hopes. We're putting that out there.
1: Thank yeah, you for giving yeah. us a glimpse into uh, what goes on with the musicians here at the BSO and the Pops at Tanglewood at... Tanglewood on Parade, live on The Fabulous 413. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. Coming up, Armand Burke, one of only two conducting
0: fellows selected to conduct both orchestra and smaller ensembles here at Tanglewood.
1: You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. The
0: Fabulous 413 is funded by PV Squared Solar, a worker-owned cooperative and certified B Corp celebrating 20 years of providing solar energy solutions. PVSquared.coop. op
2: the Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, helping customers make the switch to solar for savings, energy security, and tax incentives. Learn more at northeast-solar.com.
1: You're listening to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Cleese Smith. And we are joined by Armand Burke, who is from Victoria, British Columbia, and has won a prestigious uh, honor by being one of only two people that is going to be able to conduct, well, two fellows, I should say. I mean, they'll let John Williams conduct whoever he wants, I'm (laughs) sure. (laughs) But you are a younger person who is here, who is studying and who's going to be conducting uh, which orchestras, Armand?
4: The Tanglewood Music Center Orchestra, uh, which Mm -hmm. is made up of all the fellows here, Mm -hmm. and then as well as um, a lot of chamber groups made up of the fellows. About how many fellows? I think this year the numbers are, it's in the neighborhood of 130, including there uh, the two conductors, two librarians, some singers and then the whole orchestra.
0: That's a large that's a large amount. Yes. <laughs>
4: <laughs> even for an team.
0: orchestra that's a giant amount of people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you only started reading and writing music in the past 10 years?
4: Yeah, I came to music very late in my life. Um so it wasn't until I started university that I even you know, in my in my first year of university, I took that music 101 course, you know, where you learn how to read the notes. So. For your arts credit. Exactly,
0: yes. <laughs> As a science liberal student. Liberal arts
1: school. Hey! I went to liberal arts school, too. But, so tell us that journey. Like, so what, did you listen to music before? Were you listen to pop music? Or, you know, what was your life like before you discovered that you were going to be going on this incredible journey? It was,
4: I guess, a little weird in that um, I did play in the middle school and high school bands as a jazz bassist, but I sort of cheated in that I didn't know how to read the notes. I just memorized which finger went where, and I had a good sense of the groove, so mm-hmm. I would just kind of go with it. And I remembered, okay, if I'm in if the chord's in E, I put my fingers here, and it, it just works out. So that was sort of how it went. <laughs> and it was just a fun thing for me to have fun with my friends. Um, and how I got into taking music seriously was my first day of orientation, this is at University of Alberta, um, and I sat down and they had the campus choir come and sing. And this, I went to the Francophone campus as well, so it's very small, like 14 people per class. And they sung this piece by Gabrielle Fauré, it's called cantique de Jean Racine, and I was just blown away, like I had never heard anything like that before, and uh, especially nothing as beautiful, for, beautiful before, and I just didn't realize how it was even possible for our human voices to make this sound. So, like, I'm gonna go audition for this choir. I have to sing in this choir. And I took my audition. The guys like, or the, the conductor, you can't read music, and uh, your voice isn't that good. But you, we really need tenors. So come on in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, And after the first semester, because it's a small campus, we could take a minor in music. And he said, why don't you do that, take some voice lessons, and I think your voice could actually do something. I'm like, OK, this is exciting. Um, And after the first semester of voice lessons, he says, you actually have a really good voice. You should really consider doing this. Um, And you know, if you do a minor in music, um, there's this conducting course that you can take. And I just went home that summer thinking about, what conducting was, what it meant to actually do that, and I was, I was up all night, every night, thinking about it, and I decided I have to do this. So the next year, I did some intensive study, and I auditioned as a voice student, and I was accepted into the program, and sort of went from there.
1: We're speaking with Armand Burke, who is one of the fellows, one of the only two, who will be conducting the BSO as well. Just not, the TMC. Just the, the TMC, BSO. not Maybe the one BSO. day, but I, <laughs>
4: But I get to be around them and and hear them, which is just amazing.
0: (laughs) Have you found that it feels different to conduct instruments as opposed to voices, as opposed to instruments with voices?
4: Yeah, um, I started out conducting choirs, and that's sort of where it began. And the gestures, they have the same principles. You know, a four pattern is always a four pattern, two is always two, and all that. But what you're looking to show changes a lot. When you're with choirs... um, they tend the the music tends to be less textured and they tend to be focusing on you more because you know when you're with violins they have 87 notes per second they're looking (laughs) up when they can but the choir they're on you um and you have to focus a lot more on the diction with them and a lot on the breath everything is about the breath with choirs and of course the breath is important with the orchestra but since sometimes the music itself can be so much more technical there's a lot more precision that goes into it when you have both of them together, I think that some of the most amazing music can happen. Some of the stuff that maybe want to go into orchestra in the first place was stuff like Fauré's Requiem or Mahler's Symphony No. 2, and just hearing when the voices in the orchestra are together and how all of these
1: colors mix, it's, it's an
4: amazing experience.
1: It's interesting to me that you went from not reading music to having to read a score, which is reading all the music <laughs> at the same time.
0: <laughs> Zero to 60 in yeah, a very it's, short it's period way of time, more than like 60. past 60. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Uh, can, are you also playing music now on an instrument besides voice? That uh, and besides bass. Yeah, I wish I still played bass. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could go back now
4: and and do that. But um, we, you know, as part of the school, we do a little bit of piano, and I am by no means a pianist. I can sort of fiddle around and teach myself scores. Um, but enough sing, to get by is what your music program uh, teaches you. when go. Piano <laughs> is not your your instrument. As yes. someone who studied guitar. <laughs> um, but a singing, I did a lot of singing in choirs and in quartets and stuff like this. And what's interesting is when you start to learn music as a singer first, you get used to scores because in a choir, you always have all of the parts in front of you. So you kind of build this awareness of what is everyone else doing? How does your part fit in? So getting to scores in that sense wasn't as difficult, but just being able to actually read what's on the score other than these are pretty notes everywhere was a long challenge because I was doing my intro to music course at the same time that I was doing intro to music theory and history and oral skills. so. As I'm trying to still remember, okay, this is a C and this is a D, they're asking me to identify Neapolitan six chords. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Are those ones that have, like, chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry? Exactly. People (laughs) tend to like them a lot. Uh, Armand Burke, who is uh, conducting here as, in an honor, uh, one of only two people who will be uh, conducting as one of the fellows, and you are here with other legendary conductors yes. you're here with john williams
4: <laughs> we are
1: currently in keith lockhart's dressing room where you can hear the throngs of crowds outside <laughs> or it might be the rain on the it's shed the i don't know what it is, it could be, that I'm, is going with, I'm going with throngs of crowds outside maybe you, it's both yeah what what do you feel like in the time that you've been here observing them or even working with them something that you will take with you forever going forward conducting
4: i think I've had a lot of uh, emotions since I stepped on these on this campus. And I remember the very first day, we were all sort of um, put in Ozawa Hall for an orientation. And I just sat there and I was kind of zoning out in the orientation because I just started to think of all of the concerts that have happened in that hall. And that's even the, the, you know the, the younger hall. And then when I came to the shed the first time, I made a very grave mistake. And I was about to conduct Mother Goose Suite, which I love this piece. But it starts very soft and, and slow. And about two minutes before I went on, I started to think about all of the conductors I was going to meet this summer and all of the conductors who have ever been on that stage. And my pulse just went through the roof. <laughs> and so I get up that there. That was the
1: fastest the orchestra had ever been. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: but, you know, I've, I've met so many amazing musicians and conductors this summer. And I've learned so much about um, discipline in self as a conductor and how to really... Um, Change what you're doing and be as specific as possible to make the musicians play their best. And, you know, a lot of people have different opinions on what a conductor does. But for me, I think that we're there to help the musicians really speak as not just I play in this orchestra and I'm part of, you know, I play my part. But each one speak individually and make a cohesive collaboration. Um, And so just watching how all of these amazing and famous conductors do it and their different styles is just very inspirational.
1: That is Armand Burke. Congratulations on this wonderful honor. Are we going to get to see you conduct tonight as part of the uh, Tanglewood on Parade?
4: Yeah, it, it, this is an amazing honor uh, uh, to be on the same program as you know Keith Lockhart, Andrews Nelsons, and John Williams. <laughs> I see my name next to him. <laughs> that, that's a typo. Do you want issue. me to pinch you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> Um, but I'll get to conduct uh, Ravel's Bolero which is
1: people love this piece we heard you conducting it before I've been defending
0: this piece someone (laughs) like I mentioned earlier this is one of my favorite pieces and they're like why. But like, I love it too. There's such great build in that mm-hmm. piece that when it gets to the release of the end, it is such a big wonderful breath. Mm-hmm. Like, I will defend this piece. I love Ravel in general. His piano works fantastic. Mm-hmm. But like, there's something special about Bolero. So I, when I saw it on the program, I was psyched. I can't wait to hear you conduct it.
4: And I was <laughs> it, it was really touched last night because we, I did the piece as part of the TMC Fellows Orchestra. And, um, someone came up to me after the concert, her name was Mariam, and she said that she usually doesn't go to classical music concerts, but she came specifically to hear Bolero, because um, her mother a few months ago had a stroke, and when she was in the hospital, she introduced her daughter to this piece of music, and they were listening it, to it together, and it was a great memory of connection to her mother, and she told me this after the concert, I was trying to hold back tears of how touched I was, that, you know, this is why I came into music, to try to help move people
1: that is armand burke a young maestro who i'm sure we're going to hear a lot more from He'll be conducting the Tanglewood Music Center Orchestra and Bolero tonight in the shed. and We're going to hear all about, in the last few minutes here, what's going to go on for the rest of Tanglewood on Parade, live from Tanglewood in Keith Lockhart's dressing room. (laughs) You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM. The Fabulous 413 is funded by Florence
0: Paint Center, independently owned and featuring Benjamin Moore Paints and Hunter Douglas window treatments with trained specialists to help create
1: successful projects. FlorencePaint.com. And we are back with... Amy Aldrich, who is from Tanglewood, we were hearing the throngs of crowds outside on the roof here while we were broadcasting. Thank you for your emergency shelters. Yes. Um, (laughs) Tanglewood on Parade, I'm sure, is an exciting event for you and the staff here. Tell us what you're looking forward to this evening about bringing the musicians out into the fields and the other concert halls.
5: Tangwood on Parade is one of my favorite days of the entire summer. It really is an awesome way to just showcase everything that Tangwood offers and is about and get people involved and bring the music close to them and the fun and the events. And it really is, you know, there's something for everyone here. There's something for kids, there's something for, you know, younger people if they want to do the activities that we're offering, like lawn games or tanglewood temporary tattoos face painting i uh, saw face painting we have a mu- uh, magician um, we also have our BU Boston University Tanglewood Institute students um, and they were out there and it's always such an awesome thing to witness right as the gates are opening and they play the, the fanfares. Uh, sadly, they're in the back of the shed right now due to the <laughs> pouring rain. I not I didn't believe that was rain. <laughs> that
1: was fans. That
5: is not going to, you know, dampen our spirits for this day. It just means you
0: have to come in a little bit further to see them.
5: That's right. That's right. And so everyone, you know, just really comes today to enjoy a whole day at Tango. It's just a special time. We don't often open our doors for this you know, this long during a, an event with a concert. So there's a lot to offer and people are just, they're really excited to be here and that's really making it fun. All the staff loves it, our volunteers love it. There, there's just so much to, to see and do and hear and it is a great way to experience Tanglewood today. I agree.
1: What's the best testimony you've got from a fan who's come to Tanglewood on Parade, experiencing the music come out of the shed?
5: I think really is that it's a journey. The whole day is a journey that you come and you see the younger students performing, the Boston University Tanglewood students who are high school students. Then you morph into the Tanglewood Music Center Fellows. And by the end of the night, you have, you know, John Williams on stage and Andres Nelsons and... What a way to end with Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. Right. So it's a real journey for, for there the attendees. so many people attendees. on that stage for Absolutely. that particular piece. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And
1: that's where we have to end it. But thank you so much, Amy Aldrich, from... Tanglewood. Thanks to everyone who's joined us today uh, from live from Keith Lockhart's dressing room, including the maestro himself.
0: Thanks to Matthew Erickson
1: for helping us make this happen. And thanks to our director, Tony Dunn. Tomorrow on the show, we'll be talking to the new director of the Community Foundation of Western Mass and see how they are helping farmers who have been flooded out this season. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Kalee Smith. We'll see you tomorrow on the Fabulous 413.